0: If you would take your Bibles out with me, let's open them up to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. I want you to open up to chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44. This morning we are coming back to our study of Joseph and his brothers, the sons of Israel. And this is a story about redemption. Have you ever considered someone in your family or someone that you work with, someone that you know, and have you ever thought to yourself, that person will never change? There is no hope for so-and-so. Well, certainly that is how we would have thought about Joseph's brothers upon first meeting them. Setting aside the youngest brother, Benjamin, for a moment, these brothers were models of wickedness. We've seen in these men hatred and deceit. We've seen vengeance. We've seen these men driven by jealousy and by pride. We've seen these brothers driven by the lust of their flesh. These brothers had the nerve to attack one of their own, Joseph, and they threw him in a pit to die. In the end, they they sold him into slavery. They lied to their own father, allowing their father to believe that Joseph was torn apart by a wild animal. And they've been living in this lie ...for two decades. Now in recent days, as we've been walking through this account, we've seen God at work. He's bringing these brothers to true repentance. These brothers who many would have thought there's no hope for them... ...we're watching as God brings them to Himself. He has humbled these brothers through some trying, very difficult, outward circumstances such as severe famine, and He has humbled them inwardly. He has pricked their consciences. He has called them to feel the weight of their sin and the righteous anger of God against them. The Holy Spirit has been at work. And this humbling has begun to show itself in real outward transformation. These brothers who treated their father so dishonorably, who treated their brother so cruelly appear to have turned from their sin. We're beginning to see evidence that these men are walking in the ways of God. We've already seen signs of a, a great change in their hearts. In fact, when we left them, the end of chapter 43, they were in Joseph's house in Egypt. They do not know it is Joseph. They do not know this is their brother, that they are feasting with. Joseph knows them, but he has not revealed himself to them. But all these brothers know is that this is the house of the prime minister of Egypt. They believe him to be a pagan Egyptian ruler. Joseph has been playing this role before their eyes, and all along he's watching to see, have my brothers changed? Are my brothers still the wicked men they used to be Or has real repentance taken place? And he's been testing them. And so when he served the food, he gave the youngest, Benjamin, the one who is now uppermost in their father's affections, the one who Jacob now considers his favorite. He gives to Benjamin five times as much food as the rest of them. And then he watches. Will they be jealous? Will they be envious? Will they say cruel things, and yet they do not. In fact, Joseph has good reason to be encouraged. We read not one word of complaint or strife in Genesis 43, but rather only that they rejoiced and feasted. Well, now this morning we see the final test. Joseph is still not ready to reveal himself yet. He wants to be sure that these brothers have truly changed. And so Joseph will construct a situation in which Benjamin's very life will appear to be in danger. How will the brothers respond? See, as the brothers begin to leave Joseph's house, again, they don't know it's Joseph, but as they begin to leave, they have plenty of reason to be encouraged. They have just feasted with the second in command in Egypt. They have received the food they need. Benjamin is still with them, safe and sound, as they promised their father, and now they are headed home, having had a better trip than they could have imagined. And then let's pick up the story in Genesis forty-four and verse one. Verse one and see what happens next. Then he, Joseph, commanded the steward of the house, fill them in sacks with food, as much as they can carry. And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And as he did, and he did as Joseph told him. Now as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. Stop there. So Joseph not only has each man's money put back in his sack, but he also has his silver cup placed in the sack of Benjamin. This cup would have been one of the most valuable objects in Joseph's home, and this object was valuable not only because it was made of silver, which didn't make it quite valuable alone, but also the reason that this cup was used by the Egyptians, the, the purpose for which it was used, namely the practice of divination, made it valuable to them. Pagan Egyptians would have used a cup like this silver cup to get their answers from the gods. And so, for example, suppose someone in your household was very sick and you want to know whether your loved one will live or die. Well, what you would do is you would take a a cup like this one. You would pour oil into the bottom of the cup and then you would pour water onto the oil. And if you are skilled in the art of divination, you would be able to discern from the way the oil and the water reacted to one another whether the answer to your question was a favorable answer or a negative one. Now, this practice called divination is strictly forbidden in the Old Testament by the Mosaic Law. In fact, it's looked upon by God as a dark practice, a a demonic practice. And we ought not to think that Joseph was a man who was actually using this cup to practice divination. But rather, he is playing the role of this pagan Egyptian ruler... To his brothers, And so the cup is part of the ruse that he is putting on. And to the minds of the brothers, when Joseph's silver cup appears in Benjamin's sack, it will appear that Benjamin has stolen something very, very precious and valuable to this Egyptian man. So let's keep reading and see what happens. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say, He who was found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. So what appeared to be a joyful journey home has now resulted in them being back in Egypt. Joseph has sprung his trap, and the test has begun. The brothers have made a very foolish vow. They've basically agreed that if Joseph's silver cup was found in any of their sacks, that person should die. Well, that cup was found in Benjamin's sack, and now from their perspective, Benjamin's life is in danger, and they are all likely to become slaves in Egypt If not killed themselves. Now, remember who Benjamin is. For the last 20 years, Benjamin has been the new favorite son of Jacob. Benjamin has been the son that Jacob has doted on and set above the rest in his affections. 20 years ago, Joseph's brothers would have secretly rejoiced to see Joseph's life put in danger. They hated Joseph. They were envious of the special attention Joseph had. They hated the fact that Joseph was so esteemed by their father. And now for the last 20 years, it has been Benjamin who has been esteemed. It has been Benjamin who has been set before them, tempting them towards jealousy and envy. And now Benjamin's life is in danger. Here is a second Joseph. They've already been tested regarding jealousy of Benjamin with five times the portions on his plate. Now we have a test of loyalty. Now that this favored son of their father is in danger, will they stand by him? Or will they say, oh, it's all his fault and seek to get back to their own homes safe and sound? Mount Hermon, this is an important truth for us this morning. True repentance is always revealed through testing. True repentance is always revealed through testing. It is one thing for you and I to say that we've changed. It is one thing for you and I to say, I'm not the person I used to be. It's one thing for you and I to say concerning some sin, I have turned from that sin, but the evidence will come in the testing. God puts us through fire to see whether our profession proves true. God does this not for His sake. He knows whether our repentance is real. God does not need to test us for His own knowledge. God puts us through test for our own sake that we and those around us may know whether our repentance is true or not. How easy it is for us to deceive ourselves about these things for a few minutes I feel very badly about some sin that I've committed in a moment of deep feeling I experience great sorrow for the way that I've been living but church sorrow alone is not true repentance it must be accompanied by a real turning to Christ Trusting Him enough to live in His ways. There must be real change. I must give up the sin and replace it with righteousness. The way we discover whether our repentance is real, whether our turning to Christ is real, whether our faith is real, is through testing. The Bible uses the illustration of gold. In fact, we just sung about it a while ago in the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. If a person claimed that an object was made of true gold, you would test by putting it into the fire. The dross would melt away, but the real gold would remain intact. So also, God puts His children through difficult, often trying situations in order to reveal to us the true state of our souls. Have we progressed in faith as much as we thought we had? Is there still evidence that we are serious about following Christ in this particular area of our lives? Testing reveals the answer. Remember the shallow soil. Remember how there was seed that fell on shallow soil and immediately a plant began to grow. But because the roots didn't go deep, when the heat of the summer sun came, the plant withered, And it died. Friends, there is a kind of repentance that has very shallow soil. There is a kind of repentance that seems real for a time, but when the testing comes, it withers away and we return to our old patterns. We return to our old sins. Real repentance goes deep. Real repentance goes further than feelings of grief. It goes deeper than just changing one's mind. It goes all the way to the heart. And it remains even when times get hard. Mount Hermon, are we a people of true repentance? Have we truly changed so that at the deepest core of who we are, we love righteousness and we hate wickedness in all its forms? Think about those sins that you may be currently battling. Whatever those sins are that you are currently fighting, maybe it's the sin of despair. Maybe it's the sin of doubting God's Word and His promises. Maybe it's the sin of grumbling and complaining. It is in the fire. It is in the testing where you will see whether you've truly turned the corner or not. Have you come to see how abhorrent your sins are? When you feel your heart still being drawn toward these sins, does your heart mourn and grieve? Do these sins in your life disgust you, or are you at peace with them? Friends, do you see how utterly opposed to Christ our sins are? Is Christ not more precious to us than they are? Jesus lived and died and rose to give us victory over sin. We ought not to play games with repentance. When it comes to sin, we ought to draw a line in the sand. Cut off your hand if you must. Gouge out your eye if you must. But even when the circumstances are tough... And your soul is weary and you are being tried to the very fiber of your being we prove our repentance then will we follow Christ then but we show that he is everything to us in that moment we can only do this with help real repentance is a gift of grace worked in us by the Holy Spirit but friends it is still something that we do yes It is God working in us to will and to do according to his purpose. But we still will and we still do. You can't just sit back and say, I'm waiting for God to work repentance in me. You must repent. You must make active changes in your life. You must cultivate a heart that loves righteousness and turns away from wickedness. In this moment, Joseph's brothers now have a real choice to make. Their necks may well be on the line. If we say, we're going to stick with Benjamin, we're going to defend Benjamin, we're going to vouch for Benjamin, then they may well lose their own necks. But if they say, you know what? I always kind of hated him anyway. Father's favorite son. The one set above us, even though he was younger than us. I have a wife and children back home in Canaan. Benjamin, you're on your own. That's what they could have said. That's the test that is before them. Church, here is my exhortation to those of you who are going through a difficult trial, looking to Christ, resting in the gospel. Be amazed at the love and forgiveness that Christ has for you, and then stand fast. Hold on to faithfulness. Don't give in when it's easy to give in. Through trials, God makes us stronger. He makes us holier. He makes us more and more useful to Christ in this world. These men are going to become something greater than they are now. But it happens through these trials. It happens through holding fast in the midst of difficult circumstances. The Apostle James says this. Count it all joy my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's a hard thing to do. Can you imagine rejoicing in the face of this trial as you're going back to Egypt with your brother, not knowing whether any of you will live or die? But James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Why should we count it joy? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Do you want to be a steady Christian? Do you want to be the kind of Christian who isn't thrown this way and that way by every sort of temptation that comes your way? Here is how Christ makes us steady as a rock. Here is how He makes us stable in the Christian life. It is through trials. It begins with small trials. right? And if we stay faithful through small trials, we're able to to gain more strength and gain more resolve, gain more grace, so that we can make it through harder trials. We can face tougher temptations. I know that there are many in this room who are going through a difficult time of testing, many of us have been through some difficult, recent days. Half this church has been sick in the last month. Right? We've felt physical weariness, felt what it is when you, you have things you want to do and you can't do them, and you just want to feel better. There are many in this room who are dealing with difficulties in your family, struggles family members waiting on God, seeking to care for others. It's been a tough month in a lot of ways for a lot of folks in here. But church, let's not begrudge the trials that God sends our way. They are for our good. I was talking this week with someone about Navy SEAL pool training. Uh, part of, you should YouTube this if you've never YouTubed this. This is interesting. Part of becoming a Navy SEAL is that they put you in a swimming pool with diving equipment on and you'd go under the water with your diving equipment on and then your instructor harasses you and here's the test will you panic and shoot to the top or will you with a cool head do what needs to be done so you're under the water you've got your your tank and your face mask and your respirator and then your instructor takes your face mask and twists it around and puts it on the ground. What will you do? Will you, will you panic? Will you calmly stay steady, find your mask? He takes your respirator from you and ties it up behind your back. What do you do? You you going to panic? You Are you going to get upset? Are you going to calmly figure out what's going on and put it back in your mouth? This is the kind of testing that these guys go through. Why? So that they'll be prepared for other things that may be coming their way. Well, church, our Lord uses testing so that we may prove to ourselves and to one another our spiritual metal. That is, is there true saving grace in our souls? Will we stay faithful when it's hard? Will we be loyal to our younger brother who has always been treated better than we have? who's always been given more than we have, who's always been loved more than we have, will we now swallow our pride and stand with him, or will we turn our backs on him? That is the question that Joseph's brothers now face. Let's see what happens. Begin reading in verse 14. Let's see what happens. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground, Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Now stop there and notice two things. First, notice that Judah and the brothers do not try and defend themselves. They do not claim, we've been set up. We didn't take the cup. We don't know how it got in the bag. We've we've been set up. Instead, Judah responds by saying, God has found out the guilt of your servants. Many commentators think what he means here is not the silver cup, but that God is finally bringing upon them the judgment they deserve for what they did to their brother 20 years earlier. It's as if Judah and these brothers have resolved that God has found them out and finally a reckoning is about to come upon them. In their minds and their hearts, they know they deserve whatever this Egyptian ruler is about to bring upon them. There's no fight here. There's no attempt to escape punishment. There is only an acceptance that God has discovered them and that He will have His justice. Mount Hermon, here is a mark of true repentance. True repentance hates the sin, not the punishment for the sin. True repentance is not about trying to avoid the punishment. True repentance is acknowledging you deserve punishment. Parents, we see this with our children. A lot of times our children will be quick to repent when threatened with a spanking. But when the child is ready and willing to acknowledge that he or she deserves the spanking, that's when we most want to show mercy. It's very hard to discipline a child who acknowledges that what he or she has done is wrong and who stands ready to receive the punishment. This is how it is with God. When we truly repent of our sins, when we hate the sin, not just the punishment, but when we actually hate the sin and acknowledge we actually deserve hell. God, you would be just to condemn me to hell. I deserve that. It is then that we are spared from hell. that God saves us that's one point another point to make here is the faithfulness of God in keeping his promises 20 years earlier God had given Joseph dreams in which his brothers were bowing down to him dreams in which his brothers were paying homage to him and boy how the brothers hated those dreams Their violence towards Joseph was an attempt to keep those dreams from coming true. And now two decades later, what has God done? We see Joseph's brothers saying to him, Behold, we are my Lord's servants. Joseph refuses this though. He is still bringing this test to its end. He draws attention back to Benjamin. He declares, no, Benjamin is the one whose sack had my cup. Benjamin will now be my slave. The rest of you can go. Do you see how he makes the test very clear? Will you stand with Benjamin or not? Benjamin will be my slave. You can go home. What will they do? Let's continue reading. We'll find out. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I came to your servant, my father, as soon as I come and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. It's one of the longest, most passionate speeches in all of the book of Genesis. Judah stands forward as the leader of the brothers judah is not the firstborn but he is the one with leadership he is the one raised up by god to have courage and boldness judah has become the spokesman for the brothers we think about peter kind of representing the apostles and speaking for the apostles in the gospels judah has become the spokesman for these brothers and what do we see in judah's speech in the face of danger Speaking to a man who holds his life in his hands, Judah reveals a heart of love. Judah speaks with concern for his father. Judah speaks with concern for Benjamin. In fact, he offers himself to be Joseph's slave in Benjamin's place. He asks to place himself at Joseph's disposal rather than Benjamin. In Judah's speech, we have this picture of substitutionary sacrifice. He's willing to give himself up in the place of his brother. Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this that one laid down his life for his friends. John Currid mentions the story of King Xerxes, ruler of Persia, who was fleeing from Greece on a boat. And the boat was so crowded with people that the boat began to sink. And Xerxes cried out to his men, since upon you, O Persians, depends the safety of your king, let me know how far you take yourselves to be concerned therein. And immediately many of the men on the boat drowned themselves in the ocean to save the life of their king. And yet here is the remarkable thing about the cross. It was the king who laid down his life for his people. You see, Mount Hermon, what we have in Judah's speech is a foreshadowing of the cross. The cross. Judah is offering to bear the punishment in Benjamin's place out of love. This is what Christ has done for His people. He bore our punishment in our place. The difference is Benjamin was set up. We're truly guilty. We deserve the punishment of God. And this is not just an earthly brother who steps up to take our place. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself stepping in for us. Christ is sinless. He's perfect in every way, and yet He has borne the wrath of God for all who will believe on Him. Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and Judah here points us to Christ. Friend, whatever trial you may be going through in these days, hear this. Faithfulness in the midst of trial will be seen through Christ's likeness. So you're saying, Justin, how do I know I'm going through this tough season? I'm going through this tough trial. How do I know if I'm making it? What does success through the trial look like? Well, it looks like this. Is there something of Christ in the way you're going through this trial? We can look at Judah in the midst of this trial, and we see something of Christ. We see love. We see sacrifice. We see thoughtfulness. What about you? Is there evidence of Christ in you as you walk through this trial? Is there something of Christ in your feelings, in your attitudes, in your actions? Are you sacrificing for the sake of others? Are you showing love and concern for others? Are you standing for truth and righteousness? Are you honoring God in the midst of the trial? Judah reveals something of Christ in him in this trial. He exhibits grace. And this is what Joseph had so been longing to see. Joseph wanted evidence that his brothers had changed. This was the evidence Joseph wanted. And like the angels in heaven rejoicing when one sinner repents, Joseph is immediately overcome with emotion and joy. In fact, let's just close by reading the last, well, the first three verses of Genesis 45. Look at the next three verses, beginning in verse 1 of Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, "Make everyone go out from me." So no one stayed with him where jo- stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, "I am Joseph. Is my father still alive?" But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Joseph, overcome with happiness and emotion, now reveals who he really is. He is ready to have fellowship with his brothers. He sends everyone else away. It is now time for him to finally commune with his own family. And so that is the closing word to us in this room. Joseph is a type of Christ. Joseph is a foreshadowing of Christ. Christ is the ruler over the whole world the one in authority and power given to him by his Father. There is nothing better in the world than fellowship with Jesus Christ. But these brothers had to turn from their sins if they were to have real fellowship with Joseph. And you and I must truly turn from our sins if we were to enjoy the greatest gift of all, real fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen in the lives of Joseph's brothers that even the most hardened of men and have their hearts changed. Now, Herman, let us not give up praying for those in our lives who seem to be utterly opposed to Christ. Let us not give up sharing the gospel with those who need it most. And may all of us live lives of repentance, turning from sin, so that we can enjoy real, close, intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.